welcome to the Weekly Hoon. I'm Bernard Hickey, uh, and I'm with my co-host, Peter yeah, Bale, yeah. in uh, sunny, perhaps? It is relatively sunny Auckland, Point Chevalier, actually. Ah, great. Yeah, which is a very sophisticated, um, it's sort of, I was thinking, trying to make a, it's, it's sort of like Miramar with um, slightly less um, wealthy people, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's rapidly... C-tune, maybe maybe Westmere is Seatoon. Ah, um, there you go. Point, yeah, point Sheva exactly. is more Miramarish, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, d- definitely. But, but there's, suspect- not sewage, there's not sewage running down the street so far as I can tell here. So I know I'm not in Wellington. Yeah, and it's about 10 degrees warmer. And mm. um, it's a good place to be, I think. Um, well, we had, to- we, you were up here yesterday and we had we had breakfast yesterday in Hearn Bay. We did. We did. Bollocks and, you know, noticed the Hearn Bayites go, go past in their Range Rovers and, uh, and their Mercedes G-Wagons. So it was all good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was fantastic to see you and to um, uh, Islington, says Anne. That's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah, but Islington doesn't, I can't walk to the end of my street in this, or A Street in Islington and go for a swim, but I can in Point Chev. That's the difference. Yeah. yeah. So, so get- uh, um, let's crack on into it. And in particular... Uh, start off with your excellent weekly well, that's kind of briefing you, email, which I would recommend to everyone who is a subscriber mm-hmm. to the Kaka as a perfect complement to uh, all the juicy things that uh, get sent out via the Kaka every day. And Peter, you started off with a really good look at the space station. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a couple of things about the space station actually. So, you know, Russia hasn't explicitly said that the reason it wants to pull out from the International Space Station is um, is because of Ukraine, but clearly it is directly related to it. And and what's kind of sad about it, in a sense, is if you think that the space station was conceived, uh, uh, you know, really back in the in the late mid mid eighties when. The Cold War was at mm. you know at its peak to some extent. Um, Al Gore in 1993 launched it with um, with Viktor Chernomyrdin, and I don't mean that in, with Al Gore in the sense that you know Al Gore invented the space station and the internet, as he has occasionally claimed. But um, you know this was a period. You know it's gone through an extraordinary period of cooperation. Um, you know, la- you know the co- the Russian uh, with the, with the end of the space shuttle. The uh, Russian Baikonur Cosmodrome, you know, really became the sole way to get to the space station, and has been pretty much the sole way for a long time, until uh, Elon Musk Ooh. came along. And so it ah. is a, it's remarkable that it that it should have come to this. That something we managed to keep going when we were in a Cold War with the, with the Soviet Union, is now put under threat by by Russia, either because it's finding it difficult to sustain its space program at all with the sanctions, or mm. just out of spite and and. Um, and uh, you know, the part of part of Putin's kind of withdrawal into his um, into his wartime mentality, and and that bunker, um, and you do have to wonder about whether he has the chips and the stuff to get back up there again, yeah. because yeah. they're making larders in Russia that well, don't not have ma- not not very many of them, no, that don't have airbags, yeah, because they can't get the airbags. In. That's right. That's right. No, no, it's a very sad. It's a very sad situation, and I, I, I was I was really interested in um, you know some of the comments, particularly from that guy Hayward, the the, the chap who sang um, Major Tom to Ground Control from um, mm. uh, from from the space station, that he didn't really believe that Russia could withdraw from this and the whole thing stay up, or that they had the capacity to do their own to do their own space station, which is what this new head of the Russian space program is talking about, and mm. talking about doing it really really talking about pulling out of this out of the ISS in 2024 which is not that far away uh, no. and it's very important to remember that the the you know the space station has uh, I, I was it was funny actually to think about Mir because I, I don't know whether you remember Bernard but you mm. know Mir, Mir rather came uh, parts of Mir uh, that aren't still attached to the space station came down with a bit of a bang um, when when they came down apparently when the ISS comes down it's going to land in a place in the Pacific called um, called uh project ne- not project nemo um it's called nemo and it's an area it's a sort of um, it's theoretically unbelievably remote area of the pacific where it allegedly won't do any harm to anybody when it when it does eventually ah, come down is it going to add to that big plastic patch that's right well it's, i think probably yes not so much plastic but yeah so it's a, it's a very sad thing but I, I was i also made a point in that um in in that piece in a sense and i, I remember that it's a 1998 piece it was only five years after the thing was was launched that the economist wrote a very good piece saying, you know, we were all chuffed with it, this rather spectacular thing. And it just said, this is a ludicrous white elephant. And it's all about 
just keeping humans in space when in fact we should be mm. using robots and that you know that we we have that again now with the the idea of another manned mission to 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 the moon and of course the the the, the musk and um various other ideas to go to mars it just but, reinforces how much of a contested space it is now and well and, space is a contested space that's a very good segue yes and we're part of it because we've yeah. got rockets going off from gisborne every yeah. five minutes mm. filling the space affair with lots of satellites that will come raining down at some point and and french a regular correspondent to the kaka has pointed out we've got this particular issue at the moment with the big chunk of the Chinese rocket, which is due to come down at some yes. point. Yes, yes. And uh, they're and not terribly good at telling us quite where it's going to come down. <laughs> no. and, yeah, and I also mean, it's worth remembering also the, 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 the recent um, move by the Russians to um, destroy one of their own satellites, uh, which, which caused a bit of a, bit of a um, panic on the space station, which had to be manoeuvred out of the way to... to um, to avoid the debris, the debris from the Russian satellite, which was odd, of course, because it was it's the Russian half of the um, ISS that provides the propulsion. Ah, wow! Mm. This is profoundly um, so yeah, the whole, different. Different the whole thing is super so, integrated. Yeah, it's, it's profoundly sobering to think that this globalized, interconnected world that we built for thirty or forty years is slowly mm. in front of our eyes, being unpicked and wrenched apart and unscrewed, and threads are being unthreaded. It's not yeah. very well, nice at all. Yeah, well, Warwick Francis just makes a very nice point in the in the discussion there with it with a fabulous um, typo where he just called, you know, he's talking about the, the, the Russians being you know first into space and first first man into space, Yuri Gagarin, and so on. <laughs> Uh, but he's talked about them having the greatest lunch capability, which I'm sure yeah. is also correct. But what we mean there, I'm sure, is launch. But launch, yes, of course yeah. they do. Um, what would you have for lunch in Russia? What's the sort of thing they have for lunch in Russia? Uh, I think probably sushi now, but sushi. not imported. So it's probably, you know, sturgeon sushi brought up from from uh, from the Caspian. Ah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, so it, no. It, is, it is a pretty extraordinary thing that we've got to this point. But I mean, the, 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 the space station is running out of its, you know, running out of its purpose, running out of its, um, you know, it, 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 it is, <laughs> I don't, wouldn't say it has planned obsolescence, but NATO, uh, NASA was, there's a Freudian slip, NATO for NASA. NASA was already planning to, um, to get rid of it at, um, uh, in, after 2030. But, you know, I, I just... It just is a, is, is a very dynamic phase at the moment where you've got, uh, you know, everything is up for grabs. All these things that we kind of not, not exactly took for granted because, um, you know, I don't think you can take relations with, with the, the Russia and the former Soviet Union for granted. And I, I, I'm really struck by this. I, I, I knew a chap briefly in, um, and when I say briefly, I went to his funeral. It's actually how I recall knowing him. I knew his wife, who was involved in the... Um, uh, discovery and, and and destruction of chemical weapons plants uh, in the Soviet Union in the in the immediate aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Oh, right, yeah. And you know, there's been the most extraordinary level of cooperation on things that really matter in that remarkable period since the fall of the Berlin Wall. But we've entered this much much darker phase now. Mm. And remember that we had this big deal to solve the CFCs crisis. You know, we were, yes. Yes, we exactly. were getting rid of the nasty things that were in fridges and we all agreed it was a good well, idea. Well, that's an excellent segue too, Bernard, because, you know, at the end of that World, World Bulletin for um, the spin-off, I mentioned um, the, the, the death of, of James Lovelock, the, the creator of the oh, Gaia yeah. theory. Yeah. And someone, of course, I, 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 forgive me, I just haven't looked as to uh, I, who, who it was, criticised me for saying that it was the ozone hole over New Zealand. And he said, "Well, it's actually over the over over Antarctic." But I think for the for the purposes of this discussion, let's think of it being over New Zealand. And we do have a you know we have a super connection to this. That Lovelock, um, who came up with this idea the idea of the Gaia theory, that everything in the world is connected, and that we're all kind of part mm. of a of a giant um, uh, organism. Uh, you know, we now accept that we now know the interconnectedness, and it might have been it was a bit sort of touchy feely when he came up with it. But he also came up with the uh, method for detecting CFCs, and without those, we just wouldn't know necessarily what was causing that ozone that hole in the ozone layer, which is you know deeply critical. Mm. And as you say, Bernard, this the a little bit like the Law of the Sea conference <clears throat> and the work that New Zealand did with a chap called Chris Bibby to. Um, to to do the, uh, the uh, Antarctic Treaty, 
you know, the fact that the world came together and to eliminate CFCs and to and to deal with that whole is one of the few things that give me any hope at all about our ability mm. to deal on an international scale with some of the issues around climate change. Yeah, and um, you'd have to hope that um, there is some cooperation at some point because when you look at what Putin and Gazprom are doing yes. in Europe oh, right now, it's segues, just Putin. Yeah, <laughs> we're onto the the gas related segues yeah, today. Yeah, and I was, it was interesting. I was listening to a to a very good uh, BBC thing this morning about the the uh, cost of living crisis in the UK, and they're looking at um, uh, energy prices going up to three thousand, going up by three thousand pounds a year for, for consumers by the end of the year. And this is just <clears throat> you know these people people ordinary people were doing a kind of vox pop, and describing their. Um, that, I mean, sorry, Pat Clark is pointing out that CFCs are small compared to the carbon dioxide situation. And I, and I do realize that's the case. It's just that mm. the, the way we dealt with CFCs is a, is a very good example of how one can try to tackle some mm. of these otherwise. And uh, the scary thing is that when it was first mm. discussed mm. back in the uh, early 80s, actually, mm. Thatcher mm. and Reagan were both on board with yeah. solving this problem. Yeah. And it was seen as apolitical. Mm -hmm. And if only they, and um, particularly in that uh, first opening period of the end of the Cold War in the early 90s, and again in the early 2000s, when we welcomed China into the trading world, this is pre-Xi. Just imagine if we'd, you know, been a bit more gracious and uh, friendly and invested a whole bunch of more money and been a lot more open mm. to both the Russians and the Chinese. You know, there was no Marshall Plan for mm. Russia after the end of the Cold War, after the the West had beaten. Well, there was there was Bush's chickens. Bush's chickens. Yeah, well, Bush's um, H W Bush sent phenomenal quantities of frozen chicken from the sort of. I think I think we now know that there was or discovered then that there was a U.S. Um, strategic store of frozen chicken, and Bush's Bush's chickens were sent to um, sent to Russia at a time when. You know, immediately after the collapse of the Berlin Wall or the collapse of uh, the Soviet Union, they were having a few food problems. But Bernard, I, I just I think that that this gas thing in Europe is going to is going mm. to be the thing, and and this is why Putin is doing it, of course, that has the greatest risk of breaking the alliance and breaking people's patience about this. You know, you've got a hard right wing uh, government coming in, in in Italy, you've got uh, Orbán in Hungary as a very untrustworthy partner inside the EU. Uh, and you've got people in the UK, you know, facing these enormous bills and looking to the Conservative government to do something about it, and yet not fully realising that it's all being driven from Moscow. Yeah, and no, it's part uh, of this conflict. Putin is very effective at driving those wedges in there and jamming them back and forth. Uh, yeah. And uh, this week's decision to essentially halve the amount of gas going through the yeah halve what was already forty percent down. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so what, what we saw was a 30% increase in gas and electricity prices. And what stunned me is looking at some of the charts on electricity prices, they are literally quintuple with yes. they, what they were a year yes. ago. And, yes. and as you point out in Britain, with that um, shockingly high number for power, to the point where I see uh, Rishi Sunak uh, who's in the running to be mm, talking about removing VAT from fuel? Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, it's a, it's a it's a remarkable thing, and it's and it's. I just think that we've got to sort of remind people, including journalists, have got to remind people that this is a kind of temporary thing about solidarity as well. That that you know this is this is your, your power bill going up, but it is it, it, we are in a kind of uh, quasi war situation here at the moment. I, I should just say, I mean, the the uh, John Graham makes the point in the in the feed about. Um, price and the mechanism and whether it's going to affect uh, carbon emissions. I think the trouble is it's going to do the opposite, is that there's every incentive now to increase production of, of gas. Um, you know, Germany is running, rushing to try and get uh, liquefied petroleum gas in from um, LNG, for liquefied natural gas in from uh, Qatar and, and Australia. Because um, this week, um, European Union members agreed broadly, but not equally, to something around a 15% uh, cut in their own gas consumption. <clears throat> so and sort of voluntary rationing style. Yeah, stuff. it is a kind of voluntary rationing. And of course, it affects people. I mean, Spain is going to contribute to it, but Spain, of course, gets most of its gas in the form of LNG, either from North Africa, from, from North Africa or elsewhere. So you're going to start, I think you're going to start to get some very serious um, 
tensions emerging. And no, I don't think Schultz is going to open, reopen nuclear or restart nuclear in, in Germany, though I believe he could. And it is interesting, just again, segueing back, if one can do that, if it would possibly fall off your segue as the, as the man who used to own Segway <laughs> did when he, when he drove his off a cliff. But um, you had a Segway? No, 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 no. The man who, the man who bought Segway out of bankruptcy was um, was the also the inventor of the thing called the Hesco, and he made millions and millions and millions out of providing the mesh fortifications that the Americans used in Afghanistan. Anyway, he bought uh, Seg- I, I am this is a this is a diversion rather than a. This segue. is a real diversion rather than. A he, he bought Segway only only to um, zoom off a cliff into a river and drown or die. Um, which was a great pity, but he was um, you know putting us putting us um, he was riding one of his own. All right, his, his, his money where his mouth was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I think I've lost lost where my segue was going. Ah, no, I, I, I took you, yeah, I segued you, you off to segue. Yeah, you segued from back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, oh yeah, no, that's because James Lovelock uh, was actually quite enthusiastic about nuclear power and didn't yeah. believe that we could we could achieve any of the reduction in um in, in or much of most of the reduction in carbon that's being being sought after unless we uh, invested heavily in nuclear and I don't think that necessarily means New Zealand has to although you might want to if you if you don't want to negotiate with Rio Tinto down in TY point but um, you know that, the UK that, I think that is, is building four is commissioning four or trying to commission four additional um, nuclear power stations right now yeah that issue of the greens being confronted with their own fundamental mm. views, mm. particularly around uh, nuclear, and secondly, um, a genetic modification, which could be one way to solve some of the issues we have with food yep. and the way yep. that food is one of the effective um, big uh, emitters into the atmosphere, is hold that thought, people, because we're going to come back to the Greens and the whole discussion around the future of the Greens and uh despite at a time when, you know, you could argue we're even more aware about the planet's issues and trying to deal with them. Yeah. The Greens become almost Well, the Greens are anti-growth burnout. I mean, this is a very big thing in New Zealand, I think. And this is, again, it's going to make me sound like David Seymour, which will make Anne French reach out through the through the phone and tear my ears off. But, <laughs> There's um, 87 others on the, on the call, I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the New Zealand can be terribly anti-growth sometimes. You know, it wants it wants a Scandinavians, you know, Scandinavian living standards, uh, and and no growth. You know, it just it, we kind of despise growth. Some, you know, a lot of people despise growth and despise economic activity. Um, you know, and they then they've created a and they want to still want a welfare society. Just one thing on the on the new you know, uh, on uh, Pat Clark's point about um, about a nuclear plant near Auckland. When I was a little boy, I used to go to a farm uh, in near just north of Kaukopa Copper. Uh, and it was a part of it was called Jordan's Island, which is still there. It's very near, in fact, to the amazing uh, Gibson Gibbs uh, Farm Sculpture Park now. Oh. And it was destined to be the first nuclear site of the first nuclear power station in New Zealand. Oh, that wouldn't have been good for real estate prices. No, um, no, it wasn't, wouldn't have been good for, for Gibbs, but he probably bought it. In the middle, knowing him, he would have probably bought it in the middle of it, possibly being, being turned into a nuclear power station. But, you know, there is something to be said for that. Yeah, the whole nuclear issue is going to come back to not so much for us, although I heard a really interesting idea uh, in the last week about how the technology for very long electricity cables Mm -hmm. is getting there. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Australia is thinking of turning itself into a solar powered superpower. Mm -hmm. They have this great line, we could be the Saudi Arabia of sun. And they're going to put these all these massive um, solar panels in Australia, no shortage yeah. of sun in yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And then turn it into uh, electricity and then lay this cable from well, this is the cable North to Singapore. Exactly. Yeah. From North Australia to Singapore. And someone was pointing out to me, if they can do that from North Australia to Singapore, we could do it from Manapuri to Tasmania, mm. at least. Uh, if not further. And then actually that would solve an awful lot of our issues. A, we'd be able to tap into Australian electricity and um, create a much bigger network. But Mm. um, in effect, uh, connect the one part of our economy, which is still reasonably disconnected from the rest of the world, Mm. Mm. up to the global energy markets. Now, you could argue that may be a bad thing. 
but um, certainly there's this. We could ways of... Yeah, I just I just think when I was I, I, I happened across uh, a rather amusing Facebook uh, group the other day, which is um, sort of cars cars in New, in New Zealand scenes from the 1960s and 70s, um, which as you know I rather like, and there were some fabulous cars there. But uh, there was a picture of Cromwell in about 1972 before it was flooded. Ah. And having remembered that, and that, what was that song? Dan the Dan? Yeah, yes. Dan and the Fantail. Cried the Fantail as he flew Cried into the Fantail, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with that chap who looked like Cat Stevens, I forgot his name. Anyway, can you really imagine New Zealand flooding another rather gorgeous valley in the South, South Island? John well, there's, Hammond, a, yeah, there's a proposal um, to do it for Lake, Ons Lake Onslow. And that's yeah, well, that's, the, that's for the, that's for the, that's for the um, battery the, one, isn't it? The battery. And in yeah. my view, the Lake Onslow plan is effectively another piece of performative politics, yeah. a diversion to, to not have to deal with the fundamental issues. Um, unfortunately, this week we learned, talking about segues from... Uh, from Lovelock and Gaia and yeah. Manapuri yeah, and the Fantails mm -hmm. on to um, uh, the uh, the issue of T.Y. Point, the aluminium yeah. smelter. Yeah, it's uses. interesting how they've come back to the party, isn't it? Yeah, so we all thought T.Y. Point was going to close in 2024, except for those people who have been watching the aluminium price and the New Zealand mm. dollar like me. Uh, looking at the New Zealand dollar price of aluminium go through the go through the uh, ceiling and all of those you know uh, engineers and workers in Invercargill who are getting paid two hundred thousand dollars and um uh, well, it only requires a couple of them to keep uh, keep the entire place going doesn't it oh uh, about a thousand <laughs> yeah um, it's it and of course they're all on really high incomes and mm. the house costs in Invercargill are not quite as high as the as some mm. others mm. although they're much higher than they used to be and um uh Marcus Lush is down there is one of the candidates in the local uh, council elections up against Mayor um, Shadbolt, who's still going. Um, uh, but this week, of course, TY Point Rio Tinto said, hey, you know what? We quite like this smelter. It's making us a lot of cash. We'd quite like to keep it going. And this is something we should all watch because New Zealand can't really move forward on its plans to no, go renewable no, until no, right. we and shut that Either shut or, that thing or, down, or it's found a way to more efficiently build build more more power. Yeah, unfortunately, again, like Onslow, which is a something is never going to happen because it's too far away and it costs too much. It's the same with these great ideas that Meridian and others have for the hydrogen plants at Ty. This again is designed to distract everyone and delay um, the hard decision. Yeah, because I mean, I fear that the hydrogen plant is going to go exactly the same way as that um, Z composted um, tallow-based yes. diesel, diesel plant. That is, an is you know, excellent. Too, ex too expensive. And, you know, we're competing with subsidised subsidized diesel from Singapore, which, by the way, we're now dependent on because we've just closed Marston, more about to close Marston Point. This is really good that you've Christ, segued. I do sound like David Seymour. No, no. <laughs> you've segued from T-Way Point to Marsden Point, which is exactly where we needed to go. Mm -hmm. It was to talk about um, this issue of... <laughs> The Marston Point Refinery, which the more we I do want. To, it, oh, can I segue to something else first, and then we come back? Sure, because I noticed Anne was talking about Rio Tinto there, and the other day I was in uh, driving from uh, Lisbon to Seville, Lisbon, Portugal to Seville. <laughs> in, in you Spain. know how how slight, slightly braggy that sounds. Yeah. Well, no, no. Well, just you know, you know why I go there. Uh, it's good. Yeah. And uh, apart from stopping for some amazing hamon in the town where Hamon, basically, it was a sort of town, oh, it's called Giabago, and it is essentially has uh, a Plaza de Hamon, and it has pictures of pigs everywhere, and it's just basically Hamonville. But it's also just up there as the source of the Rio Tinto, uh, ah. which, which um, is, a, is, a river, is a river that um, is very, very intense, intensely uh, filled with copper, you know, has, it runs red because of the copper deposits ah. nearby. That were there, you know. That you know, Rio Tinto is a wonderful, wonderful, and fascinating company. Um, and of course, we used to work with No Bernard when it was um, Conzinc Rio Tinto Australia CRA. Yes, that's right. Yeah. No, I remember as a reporter for Reuters in Australia, there was a lot of um, talk about these these things. And, uh, yeah, and I, I just also one... we have Nick has to wash his mouth out because Hamon is just Hamon. It isn't. It may be adjacent to Ham, but it isn't Ham. Hamon is. What's Hamon. the difference between Hamon is Hamon? 
It is ah. neither it's neither meat nor a vegetable. It is just hamon. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. And yeah, I look yeah, forward yeah. to eating it's, it. It's, yeah, point. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, we were hitting. It's quite hard to month, get here, actually. But I know. But we were, sorry, you, we you, were were seg- you were segueing somewhere else. Yes, we went through Rio Tinto. Yeah. Spain, we're heading back to Marsden Point because... Mm-hmm. It's fucking hot in, in Seville, by the way, Bernard. Is it? I, yeah. I should check what it was, 48 the, degrees here. The climate, the climate is changing. And yeah. uh, we um, have just essentially uh, made ourselves more reliant on uh, imported, refined oh. f- f- fuels. Yes. And it means that... Um, uh, not only are we going to miss out on uh, some of the refining margin, which we're exporting, and you can see that already in our trade figures and our current account figures. And essentially, it was a decision made yeah. by corporates, which yep. the government just waved on through. And the main corporate involved was Z Energy. Mm-hmm. So Z Energy made that decision. Oh, but they're here for New Zealand. They put the Z in New Zealand, apparently. Uh, well, they've just been sold to an Australian yep. company called mm. Ampol. Mm. And what's interesting about that is, as you point out, um, for a decade or so, Z has been talking lots of good green talk about biodiesel and how they're going to turn all of their forequarts into um, electricity. Into, into, well, they, judging by their advertising, they're just they're turning them to coffee shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, maybe that's how we power the economy in future is just caffeine rather than... Um, it's a bloody good idea. Well, actually, it's also with the way the weather's going, we'll be able to grow coffee here. Although, in fact, there are some people growing coffee in um, Matapuri, north of Auckland. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. about 12 trees of it, but yeah. Oh, good. I don't think so, they're going to keep even, even you and me going after our three cups of coffee each <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> well, I'm still awake after that. So we are expecting Josie Pagani. Ah, here we go. Josie is, she? is here. Yes, God, Josie. She, is, she seems is... a bit of a bloody socialist, though, Bernard. I'm not oh, sure. Oh well, you know, um, we're all socialists now, Peter. Are we? Particularly with your with your um my Cambodian um, my Cambodian scarf. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't. Let's not discuss Pol Pot, although right. it might be year zero. Hi, Josie. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm. I'm. Thank you for calling me a socialist. I think. Socialists might disagree with you at the moment. Well, Rishi, Rishi Sunak's being called a socialist by the rest of the Conservative Party at the moment, which is yeah. most amusing. Which is amazing given that Liz Truss, you know, was a Remainer who voted to stay in Europe, who was yeah. a Lib Dem, you know, who... <laughs> she was a Lib Dem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was a Lib Dem. She's, she's, yeah, someone described her as Radon Liz the other day. One of the, John Christ from The Guardian described her as Radon Liz, you know, as in a sort of invisible incipient gas that's just always around and that you just (laughs) have no idea what it actually does remarkable political skills to be able to reform and rebrand herself as the margaret thatcher tory to rishi sunak who's far more tory than her and some extraordinary things are being said so we're hearing from liz truss that she basically wants to strip the bank of england of independence and and give control of monetary policy to politicians it's like where does this come from yeah Uh, from a conservative party exactly exactly um robert robert um uh God, what's his name? Jesus Christ, this is terrible. Anyway, a co- columnist from the FT, who I who I rather like, Robert Shrimsley, yes. um, said essentially that these two were the were the were the were the leaders that the Conservative Party deserved because they both <laughs> just believed they just totally believed and believe in magical thinking. That yeah. you know they, they wanted low, low taxes with no you know with 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 um, with higher government spending. It's just bonkers. I, th- I think what's really interesting though is that they're two politicians who are changing their views as they go in order to play to the party base, mm. which is um, exactly, I mean, you you emailed me today, Bernard, about the column I wrote about the Greens. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, this idea that you you will succeed politically if you play to your base mm. is, is rarely true. So, I mean, this week we, we know that, you know, uh, uh, David Trimble, Northern Ireland, head of leader of the unionists, mm. died mm. this week. Um, and David Aronovich in The Times wrote a fantastic piece about how, you know, he was a hardcore unionist who did not support negotiated peace with Sinn Féin and so on, um, but came around on a principled basis when he saw that Northern Ireland would have a voice in this and ended up being one of the great promoters of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. So he lost his seat in the process. Yeah, but he got a, he got, a, got, a, got a Nobel Prize. But got a Nobel Prize. <laughs> and also, more importantly, stopped violence in, mm. in Northern Ireland. Yeah. 
So, you know, if you want to turn the, the, the arc of history and do good in the world, don't just play to your party base, you know, lead. That's, <laughs> so, re that's really interesting, Josie. Actually focusing on the ability to make real political change means playing a lot in the centre. But what we've seen over the last couple of decades, all around the world, but particularly in those places with first-past-the-post politics and where you've got a real polarisation and in places where you've got gerrymandering, what effectively you end up with is a bunch of politicians who win the support of their extremists. Mm, mm. And if they're lucky, they get into power and, and do all sorts of crazy things they're extremists like. Mm. And unfortunately, that's what we've seen to an extent in the United States. But if you are actually wanting to win elections where you need a majority of actual voters to vote for you, like in a presidential election or like in New Zealand with MMP, um, you essentially maroon yourself from the centre. Oh, Bernard, you... do you know about the two, sol two, two sailors? One was red and one was blue, and together they were marooned. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> carry on. Carry on. Sorry. That's a dad joke. I'm. I don't. I'm not even. Gonna <laughs> yeah, and, I'm not and, even going to smile and, at that. Yeah. Um, but, we don't do. We don't, we're not going to have any of your sexist, you know, sexist insults to us. Thank you very oh, much. Oh no! I, so I, now, now I I'm embrace. So, I and, embrace and, the and dad no, yeah. no, no, I'm embracing the dad joke. No, I'm a feminist so, too, so it's all right. But to yeah. your point, Bernard, that yep. um, you know, I think there's a problem with cent the, the centre of politics that it sounds very bland and moderate and kind of like you know sort of beige but actually you know those of us in the center of politics and and i call myself center left that you have to get far more kind yeah. of passionate about what that is and so you know if you here's another example of someone who played to the party on the left of the party ed Miliband in britain mm -hmm. um you know played to the left uh you know fracturicide whatever the word is fracturicide killed off his brother who was fracturicide yeah thank you right. right um you know so you're making me less worried about joe biden now because <laughs> you're young and glamorous, but yeah. Oh, hardly, but yeah. yeah. But he, you know, he played to the left. He played to his party. So, what was his what was his political legacy? Not success, not electoral mm. success, of course. But also, even worse than that, his legacy was um, uh, Labour out of government for more than a decade. Mm. Jeremy Corbyn, and actually Brexit. Because, you know, if Labour had got in, then you wouldn't have had Brexit, you wouldn't. And there's mm. another one, David Cameron, who mm. history will remember him as a politician. With any luck, history won't party. remember him at all. But yeah. oh, won't remember. Well, they'll remember him for being responsible for Brexit, who yeah. he just didn't even believe in. But he played to his party, the core of his party. Who, or one but Josie, bring, bring this back, would you mind, c c to, to James Shaw? Because I, I, I have mentioned on our podcast before that I, that I think James Shaw is a bit of a wimp. Uh, and he's and his sort of his demeanor makes him come across as a bit of a wimp. But you're right that his that he he is he is trying to be effective in government or in, in effective against or on a on a government, which is a much harder th harder thing to do than just um, you know throwing throwing excrement from the sidelines. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm not a, a, a Green Party member or even a Green Party voter, but I, I look at what he's done. He he has managed to get consensus across the House from, you know, the National Party right through to Labour for mm. net zero, for a, a you know, climate reduction plan and so on. But I mean, this, you know, it's hard to kind of overemphasize just how remarkable that is, because only a but few years ago... Are we sure that, that Labour wouldn't have done it off its own bat because um, and you know there's been a lot of highfalutin talk from um labor about climate change and surely they would have done it themselves actually i think the point you make is is good bernard but i think it's more that labor has become green light which is something i mentioned in my column this morning mm -hmm. and i think that's been the problem for james shaw is that actually labor has become the green party in many ways or at least a sort of low fat a sort of soft but yeah yeah. yeah. So therefore, it's harder for him to differentiate. But I do also think that's the problem for small parties in government anyway, that it's hard to go, you know, like when I worked for the Alliance, you know, we led pay parental leave, we led um, the establishment of Kiwi Bank, four weeks mm -hmm. annual leave. But, you know, the Labour government got the credit for that, even if people who are in the know remember that it was, it was so a lot. Josie, are you moving across to Raf Manji then on the on the top party? Is, is top the logical successor <laughs> to the alliance? Am I moving across? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I like Raf a lot and I've done some work on trade with him. Um, I, I don't think top is. I think it's too much of a sort of smorgasbord of different policies that... Oh, it's, that don't it's really... Swedish. 
Yeah, right. Oh, I like that. We I like it. High, yeah, high, <laughs> high tax, high tax, and free and 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 free food. I like the yeah, sound of that. Yeah, and weird, some weird policies. I, mean, I can't think of any now, but you know that that. That's right. Nobody else can either. It's fine. No, right, well, right. But it, it, I don't think it's it's not the inheritor of the. It's something. It's mm. not the inheritor of the alliance. In fact, did you just alliance, just to segue? I mean, I, I've been segueing all over the place like a broken shop, shopping trolley today. But um, <laughs> which is which is what Dominic Cummings uses to describe Boris Johnson as the as the shopping trolley with the dodgy wheel <laughs> did you notice andrew yang and a whole bunch of others in the gop and the democrats have have uh, talked about setting up or said they want to set up a third party in the united states oh. a new a new third party and it just seems to me that right. nothing nothing could undermine the democratic vote more than an alternative of, of relatively left people and this well, is what, in, this is the risk that the green the host, space isn't it yeah in a in a first pass the yeah. host, you're right in new zealand um, because mm, of MMP, yeah, yeah, I think that there there is. In fact, there's even been talk of you know will will James Shaw create a party of the sort of environment? Party of one, excellent. Party of one. Well, five well, so, well, so percent. Yeah. Well, Josie, Josie, do you think this teal um, party idea, which seems to me a sort of a, a wet dream of the national party? Oh God, that's an extraordinary expression to you. Um, that is a bit rude, I know, yeah. but, but you know, um, but is it a real? Could it actually happen, or is it, or is it? Uh, that so many members of the Green Party who would in theory be the member of a Teal Party are so sort of culturally opposed to having anything to do with national. I don't think you'd see the same thing that we saw in Australia with sort of Teal. Excuse me, I just have to chase a cat out. One second. This is a very unprofessional podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you're free now to talk without being interrupted. That's right. Oh, he's back. Oh. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd see, because in Australia, of course, the, the teal candidates were standing in liberal seats, you know, in coalition seats, so right wing seats. So they were they were economically conservative and, um, you know, radical on climate change. Um, that, that's not the situation here. Right. Because we've got a Labour, a Labour government that's, you know, very motivated mm. to do stuff about climate change we've got a green party so we kind of got it covered um i suppose your question is is there a kind of blue green um mm. you know potential I, and i think what you'll find because i you know the national let's say it's a national government next term they will continue uh, the 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 same sorts of policies they'll, they'll continue on net zero so they'll continue phasing out oil mm. and gas They'll continue, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they may have a different timeline, they may have uh, a different idea of how the costs will be paid or, you know, and so on, but it will continue. So I don't think there's the same need or demand for a teal candidate. I think, you know, mind I you, they could occupy market. they could occupy that old building down on the Auckland waterfront that you can see from the um, Fred Ambler lookout, which was the old headquarters of Teal Airways. <laughs> Teal Airways. Yeah. I can even see the logo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. just, just um, on this issue of you know centrist politics and how deals are done in the middle, I thought one of the big events this week, which hasn't got a lot of coverage, and to be frank, I haven't spent a lot of time on it in the morning emails that I do. But this about face by Joe Manchin, mm. the Democratic senator, in which for months and months he's been. Um, scuttling any sort of a build back better deal that Joe Biden was trying to get through the Senate. And then at the last minute, he seems to have said, oh, yeah, nah, okay. So yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. It's not in a Kiwi you... accent, Bernard. No, but true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there must be some money in it for him. What well, do you think's happened there, Josie? I think this is extraordinary. And I, I think um, that, you know, Joe Manchin should get the prize for the most genius political move in recent history. So, you know, there were two bills uh, before the House um, in the last week. One was this, this, this bill, this act now called CHIPS, which passed last night. So this was a, a bipartisan supported um, act that was really anti-China. So it was all about subsidies to for semiconductors, um, uh, for building facilities for semiconductors and so on. So it was all about, you know, weaning ourselves off China. So bipartisan support. But the Republicans had said that they wouldn't support it um, unless there was a commitment that Build Back Better wouldn't happen. So Joe Manchin very cleverly said to Mitch McConnell, um, absolutely, I'm not supporting Build Back Better. I just want a narrow one about reducing the cost of drugs. Mm. So that, so the CHIPS, Act passed, the Anti-China Act passed. Five hours later, Joe Manchin announces that mm. he's supporting this new 
no longer Build Back Better. It's been rebranded as the Anti-Inflationary Reduction Act or something. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it's actually it's called. Absolutely brilliant yeah. politics. <laughs> and what he's got is he, he spoke to Larry Summers, who I have to name drop here. I was um, hanging out with two weeks ago in London. Um, and he, Larry Summers was the one, econo one of the economists in the world who predicted that actually we were going to get into inflationary, um, uh, we were going to have yeah. inflation and that we were going through some tough times. So, so Larry Summers phoned Joe Manchin, reassured him that the new version of this inflationary reduction bill, mm. i.e. Build Back Better rebranded, was not inflationary, that the tax, many of the tax cuts have been removed, but there was still a tax cut that would, um, there was still a tax, sorry, many of the tax increases have been removed but there was still a tax increase of I think 15% for the top corporates and so on so there's yeah. all this stuff that Joe Manchin could sign up to um, including you know lowering drug, pri uh, drug prices uh, extension of health care mm. um, but also um, uh, an extension of at least shale gas permits uh, and and yeah. uh, um, you know some permits oil and gas as well but he's now agreed to one of the the, the biggest package for climate change in America in recent history, you know, um, billions of dollars for... Yeah, it hasn't climate. been a bad week for Joe Biden getting it's, a couple of things through. No, actually... So very probably the perfect weekend for, for um, Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi to go to Taiwan and bugger it all up for Ah, oh, great segue. I mean, this is this is <laughs> good stuff. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Josie, what, what do you think might... I mean, you're involved in the um, international development community and... Uh, know how things have sh shaken down between China and America in the last couple of years. What do you think is going to happen here with, um, with Nancy Pelosi? Will she go to Taiwan? I think she will, um, and I think she should. And I don't think that America should feel that they can't come out very transparently and say that, um, you know, that, that, that if there was any infringement on uh, self-determination for the community of Taiwan, if you don't want to call it country, then, then that, that America would act. So, um, you know, the, the question is, how does China respond? And, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think they've been I think the whole Russia Ukraine uh, um, the way in which this is rolled out has really frightened China. I don't I don't think that they're about to kind of do a Putin, um, but I you know likewise I think I think they're actually trying not to do a Putin, aren't they, Josie? Yeah, well, hopefully they're desperate. They're desperate not yeah. to. I think at the moment because they've yeah, seen exactly. what's happened. They know they're not ready for it. But but just the timing ahead of the, ahead of the party congress, which will you know re 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 crown Xi. Yeah. It's really dangerous, you know. We've, it's it's the the, the sort of dip, the, the diplomacy of this is not very clever right now. And I do I do wonder uh, if China accidentally talks itself into a dangerous situation where immediately after the call between Xi and Biden last night, Xi's people put out a statement saying that Biden was playing with fire, and people and who fire play with fire get burnt. Oh, uh, yeah, um, it's everything is an allegory. But also, there is a US aircraft carrier group loitering around the South China mm. Sea at the moment. And, you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, uh, you do worry. Think, that yeah. One of, the, one of the sort of worrying things is that it looks like a lot of the back, because the relationship has become so toxic now between America and China, um, let alone uh, America and Russia, that a lot of the back room... Um, communications have fallen away. Mm, so what we saw, exactly. in, yeah, and that's concerning because that's how you stop. Well, uh, remember the Mike that. Miley conversations that he had with the Chinese and the Russians ahead of, uh, you know, around uh, whether Trump was going to go, saying, you know, hang on, everything is all right. Just here's my phone number. Call me. Or, you know, I'll call you if there's a problem. That's right. You yeah. know that that kind of connection is 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 evaporated. And he was all Mike Miley was on the was this week warning that. Um, the incursions of China into the into the Taiwan defense areas is incredibly dangerous. You know, the, the, just the other day or very recently, they flew in front of an Australian seven two seven Poseidon, seven three seven Poseidon. I'm sorry, and you know, re released char chaff, which is the aluminium bits and pieces to to deflect radar, which got ingested into the engines of the of the Poseidon. And you know, bad things can happen. Yeah, and they can By accident. really quickly. Yeah, so so I mean, but but certainly, I mean, in Russia, we saw that America clearly has amazing mm. intelligence in Russia. Don't yes, 
So the back the back room communications were not good, but they've obviously got people very close in that in that inner circle to Putin, where they were able to predict almost to the hour when Russia was going to first invade on the twenty fourth. Yeah, which is incredible. Given when I mean, we, yeah. we are you do, do you have um, suede elbow patches on your jacket like Robert Patman does? No, he I doesn't. Do not. He doesn't. But I just like to think of him having them. But <laughs> I'm, I have no swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have. Uh, but it is it it is quite extraordinary. The both the yes, the intelligence they're getting directly out of the Kremlin, and of course the intelligence they're getting um, from satellite and so on, and presumably behind the lines. Um, you know, which is helping this extraordinary level of targeting. Right, and it's also the the you know the way that we can actually access the uh, all sorts of information. Mm. You know, freely on the level of disclosure is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. So I think, and I, but I, th and I think with China, it's important to remember that it's not they're not Putin, they're not Russia, um, that and that we in New Zealand certainly have you know a different kind of relationship with China, where you know there is dialogue, there is communication, and certainly the kinds of infringements that you talk about that happen almost sort of accidentally, mm. but not necessarily accidentally, in the South China Seas, but they've been going on for years. Yeah. Now. Um, well, you remember that American, yeah. the American um, patrol patrol aircraft that was forced to land down on Hainan Island, you know, badly damaged. The the, the Chinese pilot who who touched wings with it died, or the aircraft was lost. You know, this is this. It's not a new thing, but just the That's you know right. the, the ratcheting up of tensions can cause all sorts of things to go wrong. Yeah, That's and right. Think, and, and, yeah, it's I possible, Bernard. You're right that um, Nancy Pelosi, given they've now got this victory for the rebranded Build Back Better bill, mm -hmm. um, that, that she may go, um, actually, let's just go quiet, you know, do we, although there is bipartisan support for being tough on China, right? Yeah. So, and and uh, I think that you're right. It's been a good week for Biden, and he needed it because his approval well, ratings... has gone into recession today as well. Exactly. We're complete, yeah. completely in the toilet to yeah. the point to the point where I see in Scranton, his hometown, um, more than half of his supporters think that he shouldn't run for a second term. Mm. Well, I don't think yeah. he should run because he's about three hundred years old. Well, but probably not for that reason. But he. But look, it is. It's quite extraordinary what's happened this week. Mm. You're right in America, mm. and and it, he may well go down as one of the most successful legislative. Um, presidents in in recent history because he's managing to get through a hell of a lot of legislation it, now that this has got through I mean this is quite this is extraordinary piece yeah. of legislation and we also see the justice department saying this week that they are in fact you know confirming that there is a proper investigation now into Trump's role in, in January the 6th you know right, which has always right. been kind of assumed been bubbling along but it's been they've made it explicit uh, so here's a question for you guys do you think that Trump should be um uh, convicted like do you think there should be a prosecution? Do you think the Attorney General should prosecute? Yes, but because in part, I think these January 6 hearings have disproven the idea that the Republicans will never listen to anything and that it never moves the dial. Well, actually, the way that the January 6 hearings have been run have moved the dial mm. in that there is now a significant number of former Trump supporters who even think that he shouldn't run for president. Yeah. And that, that for me is the sort of interesting thing is that We've all gotten so beaten up about how no one listens to anyone anymore. But those January 6 hearings... They have been were, very effective, yeah. Which were yeah. like product, television production genius, but also straight down the line, you know, it was like a court procedural law and order episode. You know, it was brilliant. And uh, if, if you can, if we see justice done in public with trump soon enough before the election yeah but it'll become a, it'll become a it'll be he'll be portrayed as a as a show trial and i yeah. think it's i think it's going to be extremely difficult mm. but that's interesting but, isn't it because it sorry. comes back to the point we were making earlier about you know politicians and and whether you kind of stand on principle or you stand on kind of politics and and mm. politics you know politicking and mm. being careful about your base I, and i have actually done a sort of u-turn on this at first i would have i would have agreed that you know um if we prosecute trump we're just going to accelerate uh, um polarization in america it could get violent could get worse mm. but i actually think you know history shows you've got to stand up when when you've had a sitting yeah. president who who clearly tried to 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 uh, lead a coup mm. against a democratic election i think you have to say yep we have to be careful about the consequences of this but we actually have to hold hold this this um the, the, uh, former president to account we Speak cannot let it go 
Mm. Speaking um, of holding gonna, people sorry, to, but, to but account, can I just, can I just do, it's not a segue at all. So Jonathan Swan, if you recall, did that absolutely fabulous interview with um, with Trump. Uh, Jonathan is Australian, uh, but none, none, nonetheless is an oh, excellent yes. journalist and um, has published an extraordinary piece this week uh, in Axios, uh, which I'm just going to put into the um, into the participant chat. And it shows how so we can all have take the tremendous idea of satisfaction of prosecuting Trump. But these people are putting in place an entire bureaucracy and a way of undermining US bureaucracy because they're so much more effective than the Democrats at planning uh, how they're going to take over the arms of government. And they did this brilliantly ahead of Trump and they're doing it in a deeply, deeply effective way now. They know the mistakes that they made last time. Uh, and a huge amount of that is not appointing enough judges and not appointing enough civil servants. And I'll just I'll put it into the into the chat. It's a really alarming yeah. story of how effective these forces on the right Even are. Even more reason, though, isn't it, to to yes. in that case? Mm. Also, so Trump's speech this week in D.C., his first return to D.C., was the one of the. I mean, even by his standards, it was one of the most deranged rants <laughs> that you could. It was just absolutely bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got a nice Biden quote here that mm. sort of sums up the art of government and, and making change and also being principled. He said this week, the work of government can be slow and frustrating and sometimes even infuriating. Then the hard work of hours, days, months from people who refuse to give up pays off. History is made and lives are changed. So, mm. you know, I, mm. I do think it's a good week for Biden. God, that's a very optimistic note to end on. Well, no, we haven't quite ended yet because no, no, we, but that's a very oh, optimistic. And it's way. good night from me, and it's no, no. <laughs> but wait, goodbye, Pollyanna. It's been no, great no, to no, have you no, on. No, no. Speaking of holding people to account, this week the National Party proposed an independent inquiry into the Reserve Bank. Following oh, up, I think on you're going to mention Tupuki then. That'll come. Yeah. That'll come. Yeah. Uh, an independent inquiry into the Reserve Bank. Uh, following up on some pretty aggressive criticism by some very serious former Reserve Bank uh, governors, chief economists, and the chair of the Reserve Bank. So we've got Arthur Grimes, we've got Graham Wheeler, the last governor, and uh, John McDermott, the last chief economist, coming out and saying the Reserve Bank was incompetent and uh, effectively blew up inflation uh, in 2020 and 21, and this was approved by Grant Robertson, and now we have a, need to have a proper inquiry, just like they're having in Australia. And Grant Robertson came back and said, no, um, uh, we're not having an inquiry. What did you think from an oppositional point of view, how effective was this sort of tactic, and are they getting any traction? I, I think I think they are, and I think it's actually a fair call that, that we should have an inquiry, and that's the quid pro quo of having an independent reserve bank is that we get to hold you, you know, we get to have a discussion about the decisions mm. that we make. So I think that's absolutely fine. The thing that, and, and we should have an inquiry, whether it's through select committee or an independent inquiry or, or, or whatever, but the, uh, where I think it's gets, it gets messy is that it seems political. So suddenly Nationals kind of outraged at, um, you know, the Reserve Bank's, uh, um, mm. you know, lowering interest rates to 0.25% and, and, you know, so on. Not so, not so outraged when it came to, you know, high unemployment. Not so outraged when uh, Don Brash, also, when he was governor, kept talking about making speeches about his views of welfare, education, the economy and so on. But absolutely outraged when Adrian Orr talks about te reo Māori or climate change. Mm. So I think the problem there is that they make it political. They, they do better to be, you know, a little more... Um, I don't know, less, less kind of knee-jerk outrage and more just this is actually a process. We should do regular inquiries. Into mm, exactly. It's, but isn't that what the select committee structure is about? And that's exactly should what be. it is. Yeah. 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 And um, to be fair to, to the Greens, to Chloe Schwarbrick, she has been calling for an independent yes, inquiry has. into the Reserve Bank for a couple of years now. And uh, some of the most interesting exchanges in these select committees these days are where Chloe Schwarbrick and Nicola Willis go at it with, um, uh, Adrian Orr, and uh, I think part well, at of least the... just just gently hold him to account, wouldn't he? You know, just uh, gently and and, yeah. and Grant Robertson. I mean, I think this these are really, really interesting issues. 
These are, that's a really good argument, I think, for really beefing up select committee processes and, and, and uh, structures anyway, fi uh, you know, yeah. resourcing them to be proper, um, you know, um, uh, legisl you know, actually defining bills and legislative uh, research and so on, like they do in, in the US, like they do in the UK. So that's the January 6th hearing. Effectively, that's their select yes, committee right. doing the work. And one of the frustrating things for me over the last uh, couple of uh, years, in fact, both National and Labor did it, was the defenestration of the select committees in a really political sense by yeah, the party good. party leaders. Oh, um, really? so, yeah, so in the last uh, year or two, there've been various quite sensible calls for uh, inquiries or requests to have officials mm -hmm. appear mm. before the select committees, which the, uh, particularly now that Labor has majority and control of all the select committees, the um, uh, committee chair have first consulted with the party bosses and come back and said, nah, we don't think we should invite so, this person. And that's, I agree with you, because that's the problem. We should actually have, you know, because in, in other jurisdictions, in the US or, or, or you know, it, there's a real career choice you make as a politician. You can be in the executive and serve, or mm. you can be a legislator. Whereas in New Zealand, it's like everybody wants to be in cabinet, you know. So we've got these over, you know, ballooning cabinets of, you know. Um, but ballooning cabinets in which there's only about four people who have any any only about exactly yeah. so there's only a few people who are actually governing um but if it was a career option if it was seen as status to to chair a select committee mm. to, to you know because it was a it was seen as how you legislate and how you get change done fantastic what a, you know and you might spend your entire political career um you know working in a select committee and doing good work so i think there's real grounds to to rethink the whole structure yeah, but unfortunately, the the one, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, though, um, this week, I, at the announcement of this proposal for a, an independent inquiry, which essentially the, the way that Parliament works, the rhythm of it is that um, basically Wellington shuts down is too strong a word, but certainly goes quiet when Parliament's not sitting, uh, because often the media... Oh, but isn't that because they banned cars from Courtney Place? Are there any <sighs> shops left in Courtney Place? no. no, no. <laughs> I'm talking Beltway here. This is out, not that's outside the Beltway. Excuse me, Wellington beltway. is Wellington is a too small to have a Beltway, and b there's too many mountains. There's nothing. There's Never no room to put anywhere around around. I think goes around Wellington. Ah, uh, well, there's a bunch of streets that go around the parliamentary yeah, complex. Yeah, right. um, Street. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, the rhythm of the place really perks up when Parliament's sitting, mm. particularly after a long recess because it's the first time essentially the politicians are together, um, not only at, uh, up against each other in the parliamentary debating chamber, but also together in a caucus sense. So often you'll get um, decisions made, you'll get uh, stuff happening when, particularly on those first Tuesdays back after a long break. So we've just been away for three weeks, the PM's being overseas. Um, it turned out that <laughs> Christopher Luxon went on holiday to Hawaii when we all thought he was in Tepuki. And- um, Can I segue and, back to that in a minute, please? Uh, yes, Just no, carry this, on in your diatribe though. Yep. The, the, this, the segue is in here. Yep. So I turn up on Tuesday morning to the, what they call the caucus runs. And this is the first chance that, that journalists get to ask all the politicians in the wild, so to speak, um, uh, what they think about all sorts of things. So Christopher Luxon and Nicola Willis turn up with their big set piece announcement, independent inquiry. And um, I was quite excited because I'm the guy in the press gallery who talks about monetary and fiscal policy mm. all the time. And suddenly we have an actual issue where they're making a quite significant proposal on fiscal policy, what well, monetary policy too. And I thought, well, well I'm going I'm to ask some interesting questions here and it's going to be exciting. We're going to talk about fiscal monetary policy. Brilliant. So I turn up and ask you a couple of questions and then literally within about a minute and a half, the TV reporters go straight at Luxon with, we hear you were in Hawaii and not in Tepuki. <laughs> so he's, and so I look at all the other economics reporters and we just slap our heads together. Oh, no. I know. So I was actually overseas at the time and I, and I, I sort of, you oh, know. Where were you? I was in London yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's at a Tony, Tony Blair conference, which will make people, some people hate me um, even more. But um, yeah, and I was reading this thinking, oh my God, what the hell? New Zealand journalism, what the hell? So, okay, um, Luxon was in Hawaii. That's and, and he put out a social media thing saying today in Tepuki, which obviously was late, you know, went out too late. It wasn't intentional. He's not trying to trick people. Um, it's, I, you know, it's a, it's a sort of, 
I don't know, a five minute story. And, and it was I bloody like, funny. It was funny. And actually, the Times did a thing on it because I looked and I thought, Oh, really? The like, Times of London. We're yeah. famous. Yes, yeah. I know. It's like, yeah, oh, I think, I think oh. my friend Bernie Lagan did it. And Bernie's, Bernie's an old. Oh. Bernie's an old gallery person and, and uh, you know, is not going to miss, you know, it was a very, very silly, but extremely silly funny story. story. Well, uh, funny. It was so ham-fisted. But, but yeah, but also just, I mean, what it makes me realise, and I hate to say this, but you can understand how Trump got away with talking about mm. fake news because it yeah. does start to look like mainstream media just goes after these sort of gotcha stories on the right. And, you know, meanwhile, St. Saint, Saint Jacinda is kind of left alone. And, and, you know, you can understand how people start to see that and start to think, you know, actually mainstream media is biased. Now, I don't yeah, yeah, think no, I know, I, I agree. We, 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 but... I think it's an entirely legitimate story that was extremely funny and very ScoMo-ish and made him look like a bit of a tit. But as he says... As he said, oh, I bloody fronted up to the conference and I didn't throw my person on, under the bus who put it out, although I would have liked to. But, and by the <laughs> way, I'm very supportive of the New Zealand tourism industry because I ran, used to run an airline, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, Josie. But, that, but you're right, um, yes. It is frustrating that the gotcha stuff crowds out the real issues. Which is well, why we all pay $19 a month for the Parker burner. Absolutely. <sighs> I'll pay you a commission later, Peter. This is excellent. Yes. yes. Uh, but you, you make a great point. But the problem is, uh, this is the world we live in. And, and you're right when you talk about we have to deal with the real world and we can't all, you know, uh, pretend we live in another world that we think should be as the extremists on both sides do. And if you're about to, you're, you're auditioning to run country you're auditioning to be um the pm and one of the key things there is you have to have your ducks in a row you have to have planned your announcement you have to prepare the ground mm. you have to make sure that your vanguards are out there and they're awake and they've got their um do you mean their, do you mean standard vanguard cars or people in your vanguard of people in the vanguard okay, PR okay. People. Yep. yeah okay um, i thought we were uh, going back to my other earlier no, thing about cars yep the vanguard yeah that's anyway yeah, carry on trying to avoid so um this is an issue where it could have it could have been easily swatted aside by a just dealing with this issue with the TV journalists off camera or having another little one beforehand mm. and and cordoning it off because unfortunately he let it run for half a day and it became the story of the day and the story he wanted it to be was was ignored and I think that sort of political management stuff which seems completely irrelevant to the public actually betrays how organized and strategic and tactical someone is you need in to be. Yeah. yeah but also but also Bernard and, and well, probably just it look this is the guy who also took the Mercedes from more or less across the road from Parliament yeah you know it just yeah. it just it just so speaks to an entitled all, but all of these stories the way that they get sort of um uh, I don't amplified. know booted up yeah amplified. Yeah. Um, and it's all about playing to a narrative of, you know, he's rich and he's, you know, corporate and, you know, he got a Mercedes across the thing, mm. across the, the forecourt or whatever. Um, and you just think, okay, so so the, I, I get that that's a narrative that, that, you know, people kind of respond to. But Bernard's right. It's like, you know, this is not... This is not good journalism. No. Well, I was, I was appalled the other day by it. Nadine Dorries talking about... Um, uh, yes, Ricky, 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 um, uh, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky Sunak, Rishi Sunak, Rishi Sunak. wearing three thousand dollar Prada shoes. Yeah. Of course, he should wear. He's a bloody Tory and he's very wealthy. Of course, he should have a bespoke suit. He should, yeah. you know, I mean, he, and he should have beautiful taste. He has got beautiful taste. You it's know, always for, good political yeah. activism to point out these things if you're trying to sort of say you're the man of the people. But you know, there's a reason why Boris Johnson, an elite um, entitled Etonian, mm. became somehow the person that working class that's true, absolutely supported. Mm. And it was because he just went, you know, a plague on all your houses. You know, I, I'm going to, you know, a bit like it was a bit. I mean, I don't think he's like Trump at all. But um, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to wait and see. It's coming. I think. Yeah. I'm going to I'm I'm taking a bit of a I'm I'm being a bit jokey about politics and so on so you know that it, it's i just think that um and no one can ever accuse him of wearing a um several row suit 
No, because <laughs> he does. He looks like, you know. He looks like he's slipped, slipped in a suit, which he, in fact, has several times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with several women. Oh, um, steady but, on. Yeah. We don't do that kind of thing here. Yeah. No, no, that's right. This is not the gutter press. But anyway, I do think it was a completely overinflated um, mm. story that should have lasted. It should have been a laugh. For, for one yeah. news cycle, well, and that was I have it. to because Anne French brought it up. I have to tell you my the the, the I didn't really know who Susie Susie um, from uh, Morning Report was until uh, I came back uh, a couple of years ago, and someone described her as um, being like a dog barking at a cat at a cat up a tree with, in every interview. And sometimes there's no cat, and sometimes there's not even a tree. Yeah, and someone that's described it, I don't think it was Susie Ferguson, but it was somebody on RNZ who had a similar approach. Um, and that even when they read the weather, it sounds like, <laughs> it's like and it's going to rain, and then it will be windy. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, that, that's been a great um, lap around the world, ending up back here in Tapuki. Thank you so much to Josie Pagani for coming oh, on. Oh, I thought it was Tapuke. How dare you? You have been away too long. You have been away too long. <laughs> I know it's Tapuki. My father wanted to plant grapes in Tapuki. Or do I mean Tikawiti? He, he, he always thought that there was a, a place for, actually it was Tikawiti, that he thought there was a great place for grapes in Tikawiti. But this that is, always the moment is another in podcasts story. Where somebody says something they, they should not say, and that becomes a huge news story. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Way too relaxed, Peter. You're off <laughs> yeah, your yeah. notes and you are free ranging. I'm off my meds, Awfully. I think it's the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, wonderful see to see you all. Um, Thanks, Jesse. Co-host, Lucy Pagani. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was the weekly hoon on the Kaka. Kat, Kita, and everyone, and thank you for being here. Thanks, Bernard. Lovely to see you. Thanks, Bernard. Bye-bye. Cheers.